G'day and welcome back to the first episode of Talking Leadership TV for September 2023. Our guest today is Penny Johnson, the CEO of the Australian Horizons Foundation. Penny believes it's her responsibility and a great privilege to work with like-minded people towards a positive future for rural and remote Australia. She believes that education is the key and should be available to everyone regardless of their geographic location. Her family was active in agri-politics in New South Wales, sharing the view that if you can help, you should, and if you don't like how something is going, get in and do something about it. She grew up during the extended periods of drought and bushfires while the rural sector bore the brunt of abysmal agriculture policy. Following ag studies at Wagga Wagga, she worked around New South Wales, Queensland and the Northern Territory in agriculture, tourism, zookeeping. She ran a four-wheel drive tour on enterprise and entered local government. Penny has been an avid advocate for farming families and remote communities with a focus on policies that enable self-determination and enhance the livelihoods of people beyond the metropolitan areas. She's committed to helping people access services that help improve their well-being. Healthy country and healthy communities are only possible if we all have healthy people. Penny endeavours to connect people and provide a voice for rural communities while her work enables her to collaborate and raise funds that provide social support following disasters, deliver rural mental health services, bush kids access to education and rural advocacy. She also actively seeks opportunities to help inform policymakers and create change for rural communities, living with the vagaries of nature and struggling under incredibly restrictive legislation with financial instruments exacerbated by social expectations that are far removed from the reality and practical application of those who work and live in rural and regional communities. Thanks again for joining us on this podcast. But enough from me and I'll hand over to Penny. So can we start at the beginning by uh, me asking you your leadership and its beginnings, Matt? Well, I think everyone's leadership story really starts probably when they're kids somehow. Um, Everything starts when we're kids, doesn't it? You know, what we're exposed to, what we experience, the people around us, um, and sometimes, you know, the circumstances that um, sometimes make us, you know, step up and step out sometimes. So I think... um, I can say I was blessed to grow up in drought. <laughs> not, it's not often that you would say that, but I guess it was because that really, that really helped me see how how important community is and how important within that community it is that there are people who actually take on those more visible roles that actually go and speak and um, advocate on behalf of the community or on behalf of you know, a group that's impacted by something. And quite often that's when leadership really, you know, comes to the fore. You know, so whether it's, you know, um, a services, you know, club that identifies a need within the community and, you know, they end up with a president, secretary, treasurer. Um, in my family, um, that quite often ended up being my dad. <laughs> so, um yeah, and I think you know his dad and you know, um, and I think my grandparents on both sides had always said, if you don't like how something's going or you think someone needs a hand, then sort of you know step up and you know do something about it, get involved, see how it works, and um, yeah, you know, and see how you can contribute. So I think Dad and Mum both really led with that example um, on a whole number of fronts. Oh, Mum with the PNC. And um, quite often, and Pony Club, um, you know, taking on roles in organising things. And and sometimes it was just because, yeah, someone just had to do it, otherwise it wouldn't happen. You know, and if you want something to happen, you know, particularly in rural communities, you know, want something for the kids, then, 
you know, a few parents get together and go, let's do this. Yeah, and then you find people taking, you know, the lead on something, yeah, and therefore you end up with leadership and people start looking to them because they've developed maybe some skills or capabilities or they've taken on roles, um, you know, because, you know, because that's the position that they've, there's been a gap somewhere and they've actually, actually either stepped into the breach or they've actually led the charge one or the other. So dad was quite often leading the charge. Mum would step into the breach. <laughs> Yeah, it, it sounds like um, that you were uh, groomed for this from an early age. And <laughs> I, um, a lot of the guests that I've had in the past uh, before I switched to the primary video platform now would talk about their time in either rural or regional communities mm. or in big families where uh, service to the community was something that was important all the reasons that you've just said that um, if you don't get in, no one else will uh, um, leading from behind is not something that uh, you you've got the DNA for it. It's more get up and do something and, and be there up front. Yeah. And it seems like both your mum and dad gave you that platform. And that, that's, um that's a, that's a good thing to have had on the come up, particularly as you start um, thinking about what's, what's a career going to look like? What's your first job? going to look like and whether or not you are happy to be a team member or you want to do something more than that. And, yeah, um, yeah I've, I've heard this quite a lot. I, I didn't quite have the same background, but I did have two strong-willed parents that gave me some good guidance and uh, made me critique what was happening around me. So that I think that helps as you're coming yeah. up and we all bring something slightly different to it. Look, um, yeah. Penny, as as you started to progress in leadership roles, because you're you're currently the CEO of um, Australian Horizons Foundation, what? Give me some sense if you can before we talk about defining leadership. The leaders that you've met in either the rural or regional sector or other sectors, how much have they had an influence on how you do the leadership thing? Oh, some of them have been incredibly influential. Um, I look at particularly some of the older men and women, um, and a lot of those actually are within the Indigenous community that have, you know, friends and, you know, the parents of friends, you know, in my age group um, have really led the way on a lot of fronts. Um, you know, they've led their families through some really, you know, difficult times, um, a lot of change. And but the one thing that has always been at the core has been like um, family first, community, yeah, and then you know itself, you know. So and for some of them, I think one of the ones that really still sticks with me was an old um, an old Islander fellow that I met up on Horn Island who had joined the um, the war effort, yeah, and. He was so proud of it, but um, when we asked him, like, you know, why did you join? Why did you volunteer? You know, this is before the referendum in 67, before, you know, you had formal recognition, you know, as a citizen of this country. And um, he said he that he actually fought for one country, you know, one people, one love. Sadly, he's passed now, but that really struck with me that his was a life of service to the people, yeah, you know, and that that really, you know, um, that really, you know, hit home. And I went, you know, there's been so many people, um, you know, my grandfather who came over, you know, took the risk 
of leaving England post-war, yeah, and embarking on a new adventure, yeah, and then bringing out the family and my grandmother who, you know, blindly, you know, not knowing what was awaiting for her. She didn't know that she wasn't going to have running water or toilet or power or anything like that. Um, but she was, you know, brave and had the courage and a vision and a hope in the future. And I think quite often that's what it is. It is that vision and knowing that things might be tough now, but we actually have a hope and a vision and a belief that the future will be better and we actually play a contributing role in that. Yeah, it sounds sounds um sounds positive, Penny. Uh, and it, it sounds like these people have influenced you uh, on the come up. And you know, leadership takes all sorts of forms. It's not just in formal organisations or in the not for profit sector space in which you and I uh, have have worked in. You're currently working in. So let me ask you, how do you define leadership? Oh, so I think leadership is the ability to inspire people to um, have the confidence to actually do more, yeah, and being able to recognise that there is more within them and they can actually, you know, develop that. They can use that. They can exhibit it. Um, and it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to be you know, out the front all the time. You know, you don't need to be the big speaker or the, the face of something, um, but everyone has something, you know, to add and to give. And it's actually being able to create a space for people to be able to do that, um, primarily because there's a shared vision. So I think when people, when something resonates with people and then you find a space, and initially it might be just an inkling that you have that someone will have a hidden ability and you go, I think they would be great doing this, yeah, and then inviting them you know, to be able to do that or tapping them on the shoulder going, I'd love you to give me a hand with this. Um, I think you've got, you know, you've, you can bring something to this that I don't have. You know, so you're actually doing a lot of, I guess, um, matchmaking and, you know, and it's like a bit of a jigsaw puzzle. Um, and I guess the leader is the one that actually starts the jigsaw puzzle off with the first couple of pieces and then, you know, lets others start filling it, you know, or goes, oh, that piece doesn't fit there, but have a look. I think it fits here. So sometimes it's in the approach um, with the puzzle, yeah, and um, sometimes it takes a long time to do. And sometimes you have sometimes you have to start again because there's a maybe there's a piece missing and you can't finish it, and then you need someone else that comes in and goes, ah, I can see that piece. Yeah, pop it in there. Yeah. So, um, but I think um, it's sometimes willing to you know to take the risk. Um, to pop your head up over the turret and sometimes it might be the one that gets shot down. Um, but doing it not because um, not because you need to be seen front and centre, um, but because maybe the people behind you um, want you to do that, to lead the way for them so that they feel that there's, you know, there's a path, you know, that they can happily follow and safely follow. And sometimes you just create that space, that safety um, and sometimes, you know, if it's a bit of an unknown, it's, um, well, if they're going to put a foot forward, then I will too. Sometimes it's being able to give people confidence that, well, if they can do it, I can. Yeah, and what's the worst thing that can possibly happen? It's, it's um, Thank you for sharing that, Penny. It's an interesting way you 
describe it, the, the process of, of everyone um, mucking into to, to reach a shared um, goal and that necessarily mean, it means you may not know every damn thing, but you find the pe- people that can help you to get yeah. there. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, closely related to that topic area, and I'm interested to see what you've got to say on this, is leader capability. So it's one thing to have the definition there that works for you from your experience and there's no right or wrong in that where do you see the most critical leader capabilities now i'm talking for you because they'll 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 be different for everyone that i've asked this question there is no exact um formula here I've, i've got a few things that are front and center in my mind that make for um effective leadership but in terms of those capabilities what does that list for those things look like for you um, for me, it's about connecting with people and connecting people to each other. So it's all about it's all about the humans. It's all about the humans, um, but also about the I guess the fairly consistent um, processes. Yeah, you know, um, things that you know the steps that are relatively easy to follow or clear. Um, sometimes it's you know the leadership, the ability is actually to see clarity sometimes where there's a lot of fog. You know, it's actually be able to, you know, decipher, you know, maybe a way through that, you know, something that might be a bit obscure is actually to be able to recognise that and, you know, and maybe tread the path and say to people, I can see a way through here, Um, let's go. You know, and what's the worst that can happen? We have to backtrack and, you know, Maybe maybe there's a cliff that I haven't spotted. When we get there, we'll go, okay, there's a cliff. We're not going to step off it. Right? We'll go back and we'll find another way around. Maybe we have to go down and across and then back up. You know, we'll find a way. So I think, um, and it's, you know, you need to be willing, you need to trust your own abilities to an extent that you inspire enough confidence, but you also need to recognise, guess, your own strengths and your own limitations, yeah, you know, and your own abilities, and um, yeah, you know, and either, you know, you either really hone, you know, what you're great at, yeah, you know, and then bring in the people that you know that can fill the gaps, you know, and what they're great at, and they're great at something else, you know, um, for a reason, you know, just as you might be really, you know, particularly skilled or really, you know, um, inspiring in one way, um, someone else comes up and they start completing, you know, that picture. So I think um, I think it's really important not to get too full of ourselves, um, but you still need to be strong enough and secure enough and confident enough, you know, that people will go, "This is someone I can follow," right? But not with an arrogance, you know, of I know everything and you know my it's my way or the highway. That that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Um, it's like working, you know, with animals um, and children, like. You know, fear, you know, it might be a great motivator, but it's not the way to get things done, you know, um, with goodwill, you know, and the extra mile and, you know, and to be able to, you know, help people grow and evolve and develop their own, you know, skills and, you know, take their own path. Um, yeah, it's much better to have a horse that's willing to work with you and go mustering than it is that you have to work really hard to make them go forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, I was going to uh, ask you for, uh, in terms of those um, 
capabilities and everything we've talked about to this point from a rural and regional perspective and um you don't have to name organizations i don't want you to do that um but definitely in from a um from a geographic perspective and from an ag sector um perspective which you uh, work and play in and and i can understand why it's important for you what do you see uh key leadership issues that are out in the ether at the moment that uh, maybe haven't been talked about enough. We'll, we'll go with that instead of picking all of them. Maybe the ones that you think haven't had enough attention. Well, I think there's probably two that I see. One is actually having a really yeah, long-term view yeah, of the future of the ag sector. You know, and I'm talking not just you know a, a political cycle or a funding cycle or you know, um, an election cycle, um, talking about, you know, looking at scenarios, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100 years ahead, you know, what will the needs, not just of our nation, but globally, what will they be? Um, what's our role, you know, in helping either, you know, address that or help shape it, um, you know, within Australia and particularly in the north, Um I guess that's because that's where, you know, my heart is, that's where I live. And, you know, but um, Australia-wide, um, I think. And the other is, I think, nurturing our younger people, you know, to be able to step up and, you know, and know that there is a future in agriculture. Um, there absolutely must be, otherwise the world's going to starve. Um, yeah, and that's that's not a pretty option at all. But nurturing and supporting young people, there's some amazing young people in ag now, um, and I'm sure there's some more coming up. But it's I guess we're not identifying them early enough and supporting them or encouraging them, and we're not advocating on their behalf sufficiently, I think. Um, and I think this is something that our ag sector you know, has always struggled with. Um, probably not so much just post-war, but certainly maybe from the 60s and 70s onwards, um, is being able to tell the story of ag. Um, and quite often the way we approach it is about, um, yeah, how important it is to us. But I think um, sometimes the people who rely on ag um, because they're the consumers, sometimes, you know, the disconnect between, you know, their needs and how their needs are being met by the ag sector, sometimes there seems to be a, a really big gap, yeah, and we're not telling that story or they're not, or maybe the words aren't resonating with the, you know, the way they understand stories. You know, um, things change, language changes over time. So... But I think if we're able to really connect with young people and nurture them, um, I mean, my dad was a city boy and all he wanted to do was go farming. There are people growing up in metropolitan and urban environments that do get it. We probably just need to, <laughs> maybe, you know, we probably need to, you know, recognise that. It's not all that, you know. We're not, we're um, not, we're not all baddies here in, uh, no, in urban centres. No. In fact, I think... Um, it's funny you bring that up. It's something mm. I've I've thought about for quite some time, and and it it stays, I think, in the, um, in the leadership conversation that we're having is how do you keep 
promoting and doing that st- storytelling to keep the connection between your world, the, the ag rural space mm. and uh, people in urban centres. And I, I think the degree of goodwill is still there. The The thing that sticks out in my mind is when we had that issue with the strawberries that were tampered with mm. and the just the, the visceral response from the community to help um, those farmers in in the in the mm. um, strawberry production space that there's still a lot of goodwill but um that that only goes a certain amount of way and if you had to quiz city kids or or city folk like myself about where their food comes from mm. and what are the challenges I, I don't I don't think we have much of an idea because it's just not something that um is made real for us uh not in education and and because there are competing interests and I get where that is important. Uh, So everything you're talking about there about how do you um, keep pushing the narrative and, and, and getting that connection as well as the other things that you mentioned about what is the 30, 40, 50, hundred year vision that, that has a place. And I think some people are are playing in that space, but I don't know if it's in as structured a way as I think what you're, alluding to um and and there could always be more done and that's that's a gripe of all sectors it, it's not unique but it's definitely important if we're talking about food production and you've just mentioned that yeah. and the other one about identifying talent young this is this is a really interesting area for a um an egghead like myself who thinks about leadership far too much um is how do you take this in the context of a business or a not-for-profit or in a sectoral space, how do you find the, those good people early and how do you start giving them opportunities and nurturing them through? And there's all sorts of resource demands there that if, look, Penny, if you've got the formula for how to get that done right, uh, that there's a million-dollar check waiting for you somewhere because I don't think anyone has got it right. But at, at least having the conversation is is um, the starting point there. Would you Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think one of the key, there's a couple of key areas um, and the rural sectors that really um, will help young people connect. And a lot of those are around like your community gardens and your gardens at school. It's just like, you know, when, you know, the banking, you know, um, program was still within schools, you know, there was a lot more probably solid financial literacy and understanding of how money works. Um you know, then there might be now. I think you know, and and that's wow, not just you are you that. are showing both our ages here. <laughs> I, I, I remember <laughs> that I got my Commonwealth Bank account <laughs> through something like that at school, where yeah. they'd say go go and save, and it's yeah. really wow. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. took me back. Sorry to interrupt, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so I think maybe um, I guess you know when you're listening to some of the you know the great entrepreneurs of the world, you know maybe saving isn't the be all and end all, but it certainly is important, um, but actually how money works and how how it can work for you, right? So, and I think that's an important thing within the ag area as well. But um, one of the things I think that works really well within schools is, you know, where kids get their hands dirty and they grow things, right? And they see what happens, you know, when a disease or, you know, grasshoppers come through and decimate, you know, their lettuces or something. Yeah, you know, so they get a bit of a first-hand understanding. Yeah, and you know the joy and and what it feels like to actually eat something that you've cultivated yourself, right? So you get a much stronger connection, and 
And I think it's important that you actually have contact with, you know, with the soil, um, you know, from a health perspective, but also, you know, understanding how food and fibres, um, you know, are produced. So I think they're probably the, some of the greatest ways. And if we could find schools, and there are a couple of schools and maybe some, you know, homeschool programs that combine literacy and numeracy, financial literacy, all with that, you know, exercise, um, there's really solid multifaceted, multi-sensory learning available that really connects people, you know, with their food and makes makes them understand we're actually part of the whole food chain. Our contribution probably doesn't come until, you know, we put waste in the ground or, you know, we're either ashes or we're <laughs> feeding worms. But, um, you know, our contribution between when we're born and that time you know, it can be helping others understand that they're we're not um, separate to the natural world and to, you know, um, we are part of it. Um, it's just that we're consumers more so than we are, you know, anything else at the moment. Um, yeah, no, I'm, so I'm I think that, I'm And I think through the education system is, so we've got lots of subjects that are very isolated, from each other and yet the world it doesn't work like that so yeah and sometimes we'll have you know subjects um where you can't see where the connection between um the role of humans in the environment and as you know growers and producers as well as consumers we could find ways to actually meld those so I think some of those subjects would then become more appealing. Um, people would see where they're more applicable. Might be a bit like doing three-unit maths and your teacher going, you can do this, you just can't see where it's relevant to you. Until you get to ag college and you're doing irrigation engineering, you go, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, I've got a vague recollection yeah. <laughs> of a formula. Oh, my goodness, I probably should have listened. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. It is. It's, being, it's seeing that connection and that relevance. Um, and sometimes, you know, it takes a while to work that out. Um, so I think, yeah, uh, our education um, system has a great opportunity. Um, some schools, you know, and individual schools and independent schools have a lot more flexibility in being able to combine, you know, those sorts of learning experiences. Um, I remember... You know, when schools, when city schools would actually send kids out and have an excursion and we would swap, they would come and stay with us on the farm for a while and then we would go into the city for, you know, and go to, yeah, and stay with them for a couple of days. And, um, you know, just those, I guess, those understanding of different living environments. You know, I often say to people who go, oh, you know, city folk, they don't understand. I said, they have different pressures. They have different experiences. You know, we need to appreciate and understand that just because we're not driving in traffic for an hour to then catch a train, to then sit in an office, you know, doesn't mean that, you know, their experience, those pressures, you know, fill their days. So if we want to try and share our story, we need to find a way to actually make it applicable and relevant. We need to actually understand and appreciate, you know, what they experience and then offer them an opportunity to be able to you know come and enjoy and it shouldn't be you don't understand it's being yeah you know, here's a great opportunity to enjoy what we experience 
you know, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad and the ugly because quite often the good far outweighs, um, you know, the bad and the ugly most yeah, well, of the time anyway, I think. Words of wisdom there. <laughs> uh, it, it You touch on something that I've, I've done a little bit of podcasting on and I, I want to do more of it in this space and these conversations is storytelling and the actual power of that. Um, in fact, as we're recording now um, on the 17th, I'll be dropping a podcast with someone who spoke to me in that, in that um, vein around storytelling and, and the connectedness that we have to that and everything you're talking about lends itself to those discussions. Do, do our leaders do, enough of that but again uh with the pressures that we've got on at the moment Mm. i I was it's fascinating to hear you talk about how connected everything is i think we live in one of the most connected times in human history yet Mm. there's still disconnecting still Mm. disconnections out there that you've just identified and um how you bridge that gap or, or get some reconnections happening i don't know but it's a there's a fruitful space there that is is more than just leadership but it's um, it needs someone to lead those kinds of discussions. Mm. And um, I'm not for one second saying that people in the sector, ag sector, aren't doing that. It's we've got finite resources to do some of this mm. stuff. So uh, unfortunately, prioritizing sometimes kicks in and, and maybe things have been pushed to one side for very uh, good reasons at at a point in time but anyway we we could we could go down the rabbit hole with that but <laughs> i i do like where you took that and and i guess there's leadership needed at all those levels mm-hmm. just let me ask you while i've got you here penny um we we've all been through covid19 do you think mm-hmm. it had an influence on the craft of leadership from your travels again don't want you to id anyone or any organization it's more what What's your general sense of it? Are, are we at, uh, has it taught us something? Are we still unpacking what happened through that time? What, what where's your view on that, mate? Mm. Well, it's interesting for us because um, our small team has always oper- operated remotely, so we've always done things over the phone by post, uh, with, and with the advent of the internet, of course, by email and and Zoom. Um, and other you know, ways of video conferencing and whatnot. So. Um, yeah, so for us, I guess our way of operating didn't change considerably at all. But I think seeing others that needed to adapt and change, um, they actually needed to have a lot more confidence and trust in their workforce um, because, you know, they weren't able to walk through the offices and whatnot and, you know, have a look and or go and ask them, you know, how are you going or what are you working on today or, you know, or you know, so there had to be a lot more trust um, I think I think some people really stepped up and took advantage of the time to, you know, develop skills and experiences, um, even though they couldn't maybe physically, you know, go to things. Um, they were finding other ways. And some people were just um, adapting to using technology with great gusto um, and really embracing it and finding out that it offered all sorts of amazing you know, experiences and opportunities for them to upskill and learn. And uh, and for others, it was still a little bit terrifying um, and intrusive to an extent because um, for a lot of people, you know, their their home space was their sacred space, you know, their haven, and all of a sudden the workplace is inside it. So, um, so but I think um, 
I think some people found it quite isolating and then others, you know, found that they were find, making connections using other means. Um, I think those who had like a, a, a physical, you know, connection and had, you know, personal interactions with people prior to working with them remotely um, found it probably found it easier because they could imagine when they were sending something or communicating, um, you know, how that person may be reacting or what they would look like. You know, when they were responding, um, I think people um, like we are using this, we're going, um, yeah, this is great because it's like you're having a conversation um, and you are. It's just that you're not you know, in the same airspace at the same time. So, um, so I think in terms of leadership, I think people needed to um, probably empower their staff a lot more. Um, and support them in some ways a lot more and actually be probably more understanding of what some of the external pressures were um, because now they were seeing them having to interact. You know, some were, you know, had young, you know, young and old families in their home that they were trying to work around, whereas before they could actually, you know, basically leave that and go to the workspace, you know, and, you know, focus on that and they could do it. You know, all of a sudden, if they're working from home, they had numerous other demands and they needed to try and navigate that. Um, and I think some people found that they could be much more productive in, you know, shorter, more intense periods of time. And, and that was great because they would actually really then focus because they had to, because they might have only had two hours, you know, two hour, you know, blocks or something. And then, you know, kids or, you know, elderly parents or whatever, um, may have needed to be the priority then. So I think um, I think overall, um, people in positions of leadership um, were able to adapt. Um, I think so. Uh, but I think some, you know, for a little while struggled with actually, you know, almost letting go and and going, have I done enough as, you know, maybe the team leader or, you know, the boss or the employer or something? Have I have I given them enough resources to be able to still deliver this? Yeah, and what else do they need? And can we offer it? Yeah, well, how do we offer it? Yeah, and, and do our expectations, you know, change and adapt? Can we still deliver our service or our products, um, you know, to the quality and to the extent that we want to and need to? Are we still profitable? Um, yeah, and can we still, you know, employ people? Can we still pay them? You know, because I think that was important to a lot of people and will our businesses survive? Um, yeah, and I think the ones that did were the ones that were able to, you know, really adapt. Um, they could see opportunities where previously they may not have recognised them and they could see skills and capabilities within their teams that maybe they hadn't um, had cause to recognise before. Um, so I think, you know, the good leaders and the good business owners and whatnot um, were able to, you know, do all that um, during COVID. And I think what it's done is it actually set them up to be actually much more open to the skills and the abilities, you know, of the people that they employed or that were around them as well. So I think they're probably a little bit more open um, to opportunities and recognising, you know, what's good in people and what abilities they have. Yeah, it's an interesting response. I I can't disagree with any of that. I I what what I what I didn't think about. It's hard to disagree. What what I hadn't thought about a lot 
and this is one of the reasons I do the podcasting is to try and expand my own thinking is um, I, like you, have worked from home, from a home office for quite some time. And um, I, I never had the thought that the outside of my office is my sacred home space. It's not to be work. And then Ooh. there's the workspace. And what what I think I found is when I come into my home office, this is definitely where work happens. But everything outside of that door is walking or taking that trip from work to home and home is a different space and being able to physically jump between the two with some ease uh, makes life a lot more mm. interesting if you're not uh, if if you're the kind of person like I am I, I don't need necessarily to have a big team around me physically I'm, I'm happy to work and get myself motivated mm. but if you're definitely the um the kind of person that loves to be in an office environment, loves noise and people around you and mm. lots of stuff happening. COVID would have sucked. It would have been a really bad deal while mm. while it was going on. And, and I think, like you said, the very best of our managers and leaders saw that in their people and tried to find ways to give them mm. a proxy for that until things um, mm. got better. And, yeah, could not disagree with you. Uh, Penny, um I, I want to ask the next uh, topic area because it's it's something um, to question that I ask all of my guests. Uh, the nature versus nurture discussion: Are leaders born or are they made? Oh, <laughs> okay. I think genetically there will be some that will just have some. I think, yeah. For some, it, it is. It's in their makeup. It's in their personality to start with. Like, um, but I think what happens is it's nurtured from a very young age um, because, um, you know, children that exhibit interest and curiosity in things, if that's encouraged, um, then those who like to explore, yeah, and maybe take risks because they don't know what's outside, they're often the ones that seem to be the ones that will um, develop leadership you know, skills and capabilities. Um, so that requires nurturing and that requires, you know, the adults around them to actually let them do that um, because sometimes, you know, as parents we we can see risks and we can see lines and shadows that kids just can't see at all. Um, yeah, and maybe sometimes, you know, we we want to nurture them um, but we also want to keep them very, very, very safe. And sometimes that stymies, you know, that curiosity and, you know, that adventurous spirit. And sometimes, you know, yeah, you need to be <laughs> you need to be prepared for some broken bones and scrapes and scratches and, you know, some hurt feelings and whatnot sometimes, um, you know, and going, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, hopefully, you know, it won't be fatal. Um, it might be uncomfortable. Um but it's part of the experience of, you know, learning and growing. So I think there's a combination of both, but I think it's really important that I guess those characteristics um, are identified in children very early on. Um, so it's you need risk takers, but sometimes they, they might need a bit of tempering too because if they don't have any filters, um, you know, that can be just as <laughs> just as difficult to manage as ones who um, aren't as comfortable as you know stepping outside where they where they feel safest. Um, so I think yeah, it's um 
And sometimes, I just think, yeah, sometimes some are just born um, born leading the way. Sometimes, you know, they're the ones that are climbing the door before they can walk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're climbing the screen door before they can actually, you know, go anywhere else. Um, <laughs> they're the ones that are, you know, maybe drinking out of the dog's water <laughs> you know, instead of you know, going to the tap. Um, yeah. You know, they're it's, the ones uh... that aren't maybe not quite as concerned about their own personal safety um, as they are about finding out what's going on out there. Sure. And um, <laughs> yeah. I, look, after a couple of hundred of these conversations, I still yeah. haven't run into someone that said it's all of one or all of the other. It, it's too easy, I think, to be black and white on it. Mm. Not that I've met anyone that wants to um, wants to argue it that way. I think and and this this is uh from experience uh, that once you meet x amount of people maybe there's a certain amount before your brain triggers this in your own thinking i'm i'm talking generally here and i have no research evidence to back me but i think once you've lived a bit of life and you've been in leadership roles or you've been close to people that are very good at the leadership process that you start to think, yeah, this this can be nurtured in people, but some people get dealt a uh, a set of traits and and skills and abilities that maybe you didn't, and so they had a a, a marginal head start on you. But the, all that said, if those mm. those people with those innate um, abilities that we all share to a degree, like we can all think strategically, we can all use our foresight capabilities, but. What I mean by that is if it's not nurtured or it's not identified or it's not encouraged, mm. we you, know, mm. you could be walking by the next PM or the next president of the US or whatever and you'd mm. never know it because I never got a chance to mm. to take take that risk or, or at least given the environment to do it. So no, that that's um that's an interesting response, Penny. I I, mm. I um I, I've you, you meet kids in your travels that do all sorts of things before when they should be walking. You think, wow, how did they make that jump? And yeah, that, that ability to temper uh, risk-taking is really interesting. Uh, and my mind immediately went to the entrepreneurs that I've spoken to that the, mm. the, re the really fascinating ones will say, I get people around me that stop me from taking the, the step over the cliff because I don't worry about the detail. I'm just thinking big picture stuff yeah. and you're not they're not seeing yeah. the danger in the, in going a certain way yeah. and um uh, look it, it's um not it's never to stifle people's growth or anything but i think um when when you talk about a nurturing environment being able to identify mm. where there may be pitfalls is important if you're going to develop people um longer term and i think that only comes from nurture so if, if i had my uh, view on this expressed i still think it's about a 70 70 30 or 80 20 split between um uh, uh being nurtured which is the bulk of it and then those that are born with it yeah that's great but without the nurture bit you're never going to get anywhere penny final uh topic area and this this is asking you to look back uh sorry you're going to say something then? you're going to say something yeah well i think um yeah, well, in that whole sort of personal and professional development industry that's actually you know, um, booming and has, um, you know, and COVID really gave it a huge you know, bolster. Um, but they, they often talk about, you know, the the people that you have around you, 
like the five or so, particularly that you have the most time and in you know that have the most influence on you, you know, that, and then the most time with, um, you know, you actually start to um, you know build and grow um, similar traits and characteristics and you know, and ways of thinking, and particularly if they're people that question. Yeah, you know, like Professor Julie Sumner Miller, that's how old I am. You know, why is it so? If you've got people going, why is it so? So everyone's starting to go, why is it so? And you actually start asking yourself that question. And then the one that I love um, is like, why not? Yeah, you know, why not? Tell me why why we can't do this. Why can't we? Yeah, and until there's a really, really good reason, we'll go, okay, well, let's. Sometimes let's just jump and other times let's plan it <laughs> and see and let's do some scenarios and what's the worst and then, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah, so I think, um, but yeah, I, I agree that, um, yeah, nurturing um, it has the the biggest impact on things that may be, you know, naturally um, occurring. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Um, now, let, let me ask you to um, a bit of crystal ball gazing here, but looking back on your um, career pathway, what would you say to a younger version of Penny about being a more effective leader if you could go back and give yourself some advice? Mm, um, oh. Yeah, probably don't doubt yourself as much. Back yourself in more. Back yourself in more. Um, listen, you know, and when your gut tells you, whether you know, whether you say it's your gut or whether it's God or whether it's, you know, a divine sort of, you know, speaking to you, um, yeah, listen. Listen. Um, and don't be afraid to listen to it. Um, something, you know, for fear of, you know, maybe it won't work. Um, yeah, give it a whirl. Give it a whirl, I would say. Um, and then sometime, and then the other thing I would say is um, earlier on, recognise that there are others, you know, that do want to help. Sometimes you just need to ask them. Yeah, you know, invite them and ask them. Sometimes, sometimes people think that you can do, you know, so incredibly capable. You can, you know, do it all. So they don't think that you need help. Whereas, yeah, don't be afraid to ask or don't think that you're inconveniencing them by asking. That concludes our podcast for today. I'd like to thank Penny for sharing her insights with us and a really good look at leadership from that agriculture, rural and regional remote Australia perspective. Our next podcast drops on Monday the 11th of September and features a discussion I had with Cliff Beach, a musician and entrepreneur from the US. Please drop a like or subscribe. Have a great day, rest of your week, and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.